Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Knows Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, as we come to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's blue skies, the sun is shining, and the fair started today. The other fair, the Lane County Fair. Always a good, good time of the summer. And it's always great when the Lane County Fair and it's not 100 degrees out. <laughs> so, um, you know, good time, good family fun. They, they've really strived over the last 10 years to, to make the fair a family-friendly event. And it is really, you know, one of those things where you don't necessarily have to buy a, 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 a ride bracelet to entertain yourself. There's lots of free stuff available, some shows that are for free um, along the midway. Um, plenty of stuff to entertain. And, you know, I can spend hours just walking through the animal barns and looking at all the animals and getting to pet a baby goat maybe and, and you know, all that good stuff. Or pet a poodle. Um I'm sorry for the interruption in in the radio show, but uh, one of my dogs just came and harked on my leg. <laughs> um, just so heard it here first. <laughs> Glad I had a paper towel nearby. <laughs> and now the weather. Uh, uh, if you're watching the video, I'm probably. Uh, tomato shaded right now. How embarrassing. Uh, The following program has been interrupted. Uh, I've got to collect myself now. Completely lost my train of thought. You want me to start the intro over again? Uh, excuse me a minute. Um, and now, <laughs> Jay Bojovic and his poodle Piper. 
This is Piper, who just came and spit her ball and a. Um, she must have drank too much water recently. Let's just put it that way. And I now have a big wet spot on the thigh of my jeans. <laughs> okay, let's restart the Bozo Show. I'm your host, Westland County Jay Bozovich. Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, this is the Bozo Show. We come to you live at 4 o'clock every Wednesday afternoon where we talk about all things Lane County, state politics, national politics, the weather, poodles, you name it. It's fair game because you can control the conversation just by calling 646-721-9887. And just press 1 because that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. So, again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. We'll try and gather things back up here and reboot the, the show because there's lots to talk about. Lane County Fair is going on. Um, you know, we, we spent our, our work session today on the board this morning for about two and a half hours on emergency preparedness. An emergency response talked a little bit about snowmageddon and some of the lessons learned from that, as well as thinking about the 2021 world and how we need to be prepared for that, or the Cascadia subduction zone event that is overdue for this area. So we can talk a little bit about emergency preparedness. We can talk about the fair. We can talk about you know all the public comment. We had our monthly evening public comment session, um, which is always pretty interesting. What's kind of interesting to me is everyone asked us to do that, but we hear from the same people that come to our morning weekday public comment sessions uh, are quite often the same people show up at both. Um, so I'm not seeing a huge diversity of folks showing up in the evenings um, compared to the mornings uh, uh, in some ways. There are a few. Um, and some of the things that came up in public comment, one of which is there's been a uh, kind of a drumbeat trying to get the commissioners to refer something to the ballot that um, can be done if, if the if folks just want to go collect signatures to get it on the ballot. And should the commissioners just refer things at the request of a special interest group, or should they say, you know, if you you want to use the, the, the ballot to enact law, collect the signatures necessary to do it. So we can talk about that a little bit. But I want to remind folks that we've kind of started putting polls up on our Facebook page. So you can weigh in if you want on various topics. So if you go to the KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page, which we are now broadcasting live on at the same time with this show, uh, you can see our weekly poll and, and answer the question there. So just want to remind folks about the weekly poll. And, of course, um, you know, eventually we'll come up with some, you know, what were they thinking here on the Bose Nose Show. So all sorts of things to talk about this week. Um, you know, and today was also the day that the Homes for Good Board, which is the Board of County Commissioners plus two uh that are on that board. So it's the commissioners plus two, which the two people are residents in um, the housing that's provided by Homes for Good uh, are on the board. And uh, had some interesting things come up on that uh, board today too. So have a fair amount to cover between 
a nearly 12 hours of board meeting yesterday because we got started at nine o'clock and finished up uh, about 7.30 last night. Um, and uh, so we covered a lot of ground there too, from land use issues to um, approving our solid waste master plan and incorporating that into our rural comprehensive plan. Um, all sorts of activity going on. And of course, you know, we've got Robert Mueller testifying on Capitol Hill, and there's all sorts of national news going on, and there's, you know, state news going on, um, you know, that we can talk about. So whatever you want to talk about, if you call in here at, at the Bo's Nose Show, 646-721-9887, and just press one, lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. So I want to talk a little bit about um, emergency preparedness because we spent a significant amount of time on this. And part of it was, um, you know, we had Snowmageddon was basically five weeks into two commissioners being sworn in who had never served as elected officials. And they kind of got, you know, baptized by fire into the emergency process. So it was kind of important for us to kind of bring them along a little bit. And there's still a lot more for them to do. I was fortunate coming in as a commissioner that I had worked in a utility situation where we had um, incident command structure training because we kind of learned through um, prepping for Y2K and then also the 2002 um, windstorm event, um, which folks might remember if they lived around here, we had a big windstorm come up right after our electrical crews had been sent home for the day, like right around five o'clock in the evening, um, that had a huge impact on a lot of, of Eugene as far as power lines went. And we had to recall all these um, electric crews and our response and our ability to answer phones at eWeb really showed a weakness in our emergency response. So we made a huge shift at eWeb uh, at the time and that's when we brought in the incident command structure system um, to, uh, to eWeb and started training. They started training the employees and all that. So I had had a fair exposure to how to respond to an incident um, in the incident command structure when I became a commissioner. And in fact, when I was chair of the board in 2015, um, one of the things I made my year of being chair around was resilience and emergency preparedness. Um, unfortunately, we have two new board members since then that didn't go through some of the training that I helped provide the board at that time to bring the board along. So they weren't quite aware. So they were getting phone calls from mayors of small towns and, and people wanting help and didn't know quite how to plug into the incident command system and hand those those calls and communications off to the to the um, that command and control system um, as as smoothly as, as and and you know caused a little bit of stress for them because people were expecting them to be responsive and wasn't really their role to 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 do that necessarily uh, during an emergency. Um, elected officials really during an emergency. You know, we have a role to communicate factual information back out from the folks that are that are running the incident command structure, 
but we're really not responsible for response. That's, you know, because too many cooks, if you know what I mean. We're supposed to be staying up, you know, so much, you know, on the balcony watching the dance floor, not down on the dance floor participating, if you know what I mean. So our role is not so much to be completely involved as to be well informed of what's going on and communicating that back out to constituents and providing factual information and, you know, possibly relaying information back in, um, but not so much, you know, we should try as much as possible to step out of, of running and being involved in that incident. So, um, you know, that's kind of a learning and that's one of the things we, you know, that was a somewhat of a takeaway from snow beginning, but you know, there were other, more obvious things like we found out during snowmageddon that our generators for our radio towers in a lot of wayne county is not covered by cell phone coverage well and we have a you know a tele a radio network that is mostly located up on top of some of the larger hills in the coast range and the foothills of the cascades to reach down into the valleys um that are really difficult to reach with cell service and to, to have that seamless radio system that reaches most of the county. Well, those towers, when they lose power, which they did during Snowmageddon, have backup propane generators. Well, those propane generators only have a tank that lasts about 72 hours, and some of those towers are out of, out of service for a lot longer than that. And um, we also found out that you know, during Snowmageddon, the top of some of those hills had as much as six feet of snow on them. And when we got up there, finally were able to reach them with snow cats, we had to literally dig down through six feet of snow to find the propane tanks to change them out to get the generators back up and running to keep our radio system running. So, you know, one of the learnings of that Snowmageddon was we need longer um, fuel storage system, you know, larger fuel storage systems provide a longer window of when we need to reach those those radio towers. They need to be basically independently operable for, you know, a lot longer than 72 hours, maybe two weeks even, you know, in a, in a big emergency where we don't have to, you know, that's one less thing that we have to worry about is shuttling fuel back and forth up, a, up the, to the top of a mountain. Um, so just, you know, some of the things we learned, um, you know, one of the, the things that became really obvious was how easy it is to isolate a community in Lane County just by having trees fall down across the highway, <laughs> let alone having bridges fall down during a subduction zone earthquake. So, um, and just how quickly a small community can run out of things like water, um, ability to generate heat, food, and, you know, things like medicine, uh, baby and feminine hygiene supplies. Um, you know, folks in, in Oak Ridge found out very quickly during Snowmageddon just how quickly some of that stuff disappears from store shelves and gets used up. Um, so it becomes more and more important for us to really start thinking about where emergency response should start from and the fact that if you're waiting for FEMA or somebody else to come in, they may not be able to get there. You know, Oak Ridge 
you know, had to really fend for themselves for a while. So it's really dependent upon us as citizens to prepare for emergencies and to do a better job of, of being prepared and getting to know your neighbors and, and, you know, figuring out who's vulnerable and helping them out in these situations. I will say, and I talked about it on the Bo's Nose show after Snowmageddon, I was so impressed with the citizens of Lane County and how much they did do to reach out to neighbors and provide help and how much of the actual response to that emergency was neighbor responding to neighbor, not government responding to constituent. And truly, when it comes down to Cascadia, that's where it's going to, you know, really happen because, you know, it, with bridges down, electrical systems completely decimated and probably not going to be back up for a month and all that stuff. It's going to be neighbors helping neighbors. That's going to be the most important response. So the question is, is, is are you ready to be that first responder? You know, and, and if you started building up your supplies um, and working on your emergency response kit, your to-go bag, are, are you going to be part of the problem that needs responding to, or are you going to be part of the help that's providing the response? And it doesn't, you know, you don't have to go out and buy two months worth of food next week. You can build up these emergency supply kits over time. And there are places you can find lists and all that stuff. One of the um, places you can go is, is preparelane.org to look for uh, information. Again, that's preparelane.org. And that's a, a um, uh, coordination of a bunch of nonprofit groups that are doing emergency preparedness. And they provide a lot of great information on that site and links on that site to, you know, shopping things that you can shop for on a weekly basis and over a year build up all these supplies where it really doesn't hurt your budget badly um something just as simple as purchasing a you know wind up you know those hand crank radios because you know the folks out in in isolated areas cell service and power go down immediately almost your cell phones run out of power the only way you're going to know about what's you know happening in the world is to crank up one of those AM radios and be listening to the emergency broadcast information and news that's coming out of the counties. Um, so you know having that connection to the outside world, so you know that you can kind of know, okay, I really should be thinking about hiking my way out of here because they're not going to be here for three weeks or I, you know, I can stay put because they're supposed to have the road open tomorrow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Making those sort of decisions, you know, would be useful to have information and a radio can be that critical link. So just, you know, thinking about that self-preparedness is so important and uh, it's going to, you know, and thinking about your own continuity, uh, uh, beyond an emergency. Uh, are you living paycheck to paycheck? Is your employer going to be um, there after Cascadia or, you know, in an emergency? Are you going to be without a paycheck for a while? Does that mean you ought to be putting some money away every week until you have two weeks of, of cash put away? Yeah, you know, I know it sounds, you know, everyone 
talks about putting aside money, but you know, when you really think about it as how you're going to get past an emergency, is it accessible to you? You know, are you going to be able to get to a bank or, or even utilize electronic banking during an emergency? So do you need to actually have some cash available in your home? Is it stored in a safe place? Is it stored where you can get to it quickly and put it in a to-go bag? Um, is it, you know, part of your to-go kit? You know, all, all those things, have you thought through some of these things of when an emergency happens? You know, what was interesting is I'm kind of on the prepper side. You know, I've done a lot of this stuff. I've got a lot of non-perishable foods. I've got secondary heat source in my house. Um, I've actually installed a whole home generator and buried a propane tank in my front yard that can run it for almost a month if I, if I use it sparingly, um, which allows me to get drinking water because I'm on a well out here. And as if I have electricity, I have drinking water. So, um, and because I'm on septic, I still have sewage. You know, so I, you know, I can be pretty self-sufficient here for a while. What I didn't think about during Snowmageddon was I just happened to be on county business in Washington, D.C. when it happened. And my wife just happened to be out of town with her business. And we had crossover in our trips. And during the weekend that Snowmageddon started, we were both gone and had a house sitter. Now, our house sitter on Monday had to go to work, and we were expecting our employees that for Elizabeth's business, which is here at our, you know, on site here at our house, we're going to pick up kind of taking care of our pets during the day. Well, they couldn't get here. The employee, our, our house sitter, who happened to have a four wheel drive truck and was apprenticing as an electrician, had to go to work because folks needed electricians to come and repair their, 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 their part of their services that, that broke off during Snowmageddon before the, they could get hooked back up to the electrical system. So he was in high demand. So here we were in Denver and Washington, D.C., trying to figure out how we were going to get our pets taken care of. We knew our power had gone out, so our generator was kicked on. And one of the things about our generator is, yes, it's, it runs our whole house, provided you turn off the heat pump and the hot tub and a few other large draws. <laughs> yeah. So I had to literally get a hold of one of my neighbors and walk them through um, coming over to my house and turning certain circuit breakers off, um, getting a fire going in the fireplace so the pipes didn't freeze and all that stuff. You know, fortunately, you know, my neighbor was nice enough to do all that. They also benefited too because their power was out and their wells down, so they didn't have any water. So they used, they got drinking water from us and, and helped a couple other neighbors get drinking water from our house because the generator was running our well. So we became the drinking water, you know, in exchange for helping us out, <laughs> they got drinking water. Um, but, you know, you never think about, you know, what happens when that emergency happens when you're not at home. You know, everyone's kind of prepared for being at home when the emergency happens, but, you know, you know, taking care of, of other people sometimes might be you're, you're in, in some place completely foreign to you when that emergency happens. And it could be you're the one that needs help from local residents. So um, be kind to folks. <laughs>
during emergencies that get stuck in your in your area. Um, whether you're on an Amtrak train in Oak Ridge um, or you're a bus full of kids that got stuck in Oak Ridge from out of town, um, those people found out real quick, you know, how important it is for um, the local residents to be nice and take care of them. Because, um, you know, you never know where you're going to be when an emergency happens. Or if you're going to be like I was, where I was clear across the country trying to deal with the issues during emergencies. So hopefully you'll think, you know, while the, the sun's shining and it's really nice out and we're not having winter storms and, you know, we haven't had a major earthquake and there's no, you know, we've had a really, you know, fairly mild summer so far for wildfire. So you haven't had to think about evacuations, et cetera. Now's the time to be thinking about preparing for an emergency. So I'm hoping that maybe this is just a little reminder for everybody, you know, go to preparelane.org. Um, you know, there's a thousand places if you just put in Google, um, you know, uh, home emergency kits, uh, you know, there's a thousand sites that'll walk you through a checklist um, and do shopping lists for the next several weeks to slowly build up your supplies. Um, just try and do one little thing each week that makes you a little bit more prepared for an emergency. Do that for a year and you'll be ready. And, and you'll be ready to be part of the response, not somebody that needs responding to. Which is that, you know, the more people that are prepared to be part of the response, the quicker we'll be able to, you know, recover because we'll have less people we're trying to respond to in that emergency. So hopefully you can be part of the solution and not part of the problem. So that gets us to some of the other things going on in, in Lane County. And, um, you know, we can talk about a few things that are going on. Uh, you know, I, again, I hope everyone gets to the fair. I kind of, uh, Got thrown off my train of thought there for a minute about the fair and animals and all that stuff. Um, it's a great event. Looking forward to it. I'll be at the fair tomorrow from 11 to 2 at the Senior Ice Cream Social that the county commissioners host every year, uh, welcoming folks in there. Um, and we we don't check IDs at the door. You don't not you do not have to be a senior citizen to come in and get you know a free scoop of ice cream and a piece of uh, cake from our um, MLK culinary um, program, just stop on in, you know, so, you know, it, it's a great event. Um, so hope to see folks at the fair tomorrow. But that gets around to some of the other things going on. And, um, you know, we, we had an opportunity uh, yesterday to approve our uh, solid waste management plan. And, Part of the plan really is to try and reduce um, some of what's going to the landfill, try and change people's habits so they're buying less wasteful things. And, um, you know, the current board was, you know, all rah-rah, you know, great, we're passing this. I had to remind folks um, when we actually started work on the master plan, which was four years ago. So this didn't happen overnight. Um, to get to a point of having a, a plan ready to approve. Um, it takes a fair amount of work to, to set it up um, and go through getting input from stakeholders, from whether it's the, the folks that haul the trash to the folks that are, 
you know, producing some of the plastics to um, consumer groups and, and environmental advocates and everybody else that wants to have a little bit of input on how we handle our solid waste. Um, but, it, I, you know, it, it's a really good plan. And, you know, I think, um, you know, one of the things we're really looking at is, you know, how do we deal with plastics and recycling recovery in the current age where China stopped taking the, that kind of waste because we're not generating a clean enough waste stream. And one of the things we're looking at is maybe developing a, a, a full sorting facility. One of the big things we're looking at though, and one of the places that fills our, our landfill with material that really is actually a raw material versus a waste material is all the organics that go into our landfill that could actually be used you know, in a um, uh, digestion facility to generate methane, natural gas that could pack, that could generate electricity. You know, so you know, forming biogas. So trying to divert, in particularly food waste, out of the landfill and, and some of the organics that could generate gas could do a lot to extend the life of the landfill, and at the same time you know, provide this, you know, basically a renewable source of, en of energy um, for a community. And that's really one of the biggest things that's in our solid waste master plan is to try and start dealing with diversion of organics. Uh, besides this whole issue of trying to do more um, plastics recycling and all here in Lane County, because you know, we've actually got a great firm here called PacTech in Lane County. Uh, they got a facility out on Irving Road and down in Cottage Grove, um, and it's a growing company. Problem is, is they don't have enough recycled plastic available to keep feeding their, you know, their their niche in the market is they, they make these um, uh, beverage containers and other plastic moldings out of recycled plastic. Um, and that's, you know, they're kind of a green firm in that way. But they need the input, and, and we're not generating any recycled plastic locally for them as an input. So they're having to go outside of our community and bringing it in here, which kind of seems silly when we were throwing it, then we're burying plastic in our landfill. So we need to kind of close that loop. Um, and as part of what the board was, you know, in approving that solid waste master plan is starting the process of getting some of that stuff done. Um, but really, you know, I have to say we've been really successful in Lane County in diverting waste. We have one of the, the highest um, waste diversion rate. In fact, we have the highest waste diversion rate in the state of any county um, at this time, but it's only about 50%. It really ought to be above 60% and even higher. You know, we have to work on that as a community. And that solid waste master plan is just one place we're heading in that direction. But solid waste master plans don't start one month and get approved the next. That was a fairly long process and actually started under the previous board of commissioners. Um, in fact, a couple of, you know, term, you know, a couple of elections back we started that work and continued, you know, that work as part of our strategic plan um, and completed that work 
yesterday and um, in, in the adoption of the solid waste master plan. So uh, just kind of, you know, make people aware that, you know, there's this constant um, cycle in, in Lane County in our, in our government of, you know, developing plans and then executing those plans and then updating those plans. And, you know, we've got parks master plans, solid waste master plans. We've got, you know, uh, public health um, uh, improvement plans, you know, all these various plans that, but they all get tied into our strategic plan, which kind of provides the, the, the major guidance that those all feed into. And uh, we update our strategic plan usually every three years, and we're going to be starting that update this fall um, with the new board, um, which kind of leads me to this whole issue of some of what's been going on with public comment, which it seems that the current board, if the public comment you know, starts asking us to do something, they sort of want to go there rather than thinking about, you know, what were the main goals and purposes of, the, of Lane County government and staying focused on what we're supposed to be doing versus just what some activist group wants us to do today. Um, and being able to kind of say, that's a great idea, but let's put that in, in you know, put a bookmark on that. And as we redevelop our, our strategic plan this fall, let's see where that falls in our priority of goals. Instead of saying, oh, you know what? We're going to jump on that right now. And, and I, I've seen consistently since the first of the year, this board is, you know, basically what I call chasing squirrels. And, and some group comes in and yells squirrel. And the board jumps over there and goes squirrel. <laughs> like a bunch of, yeah. I don't know. Some of the folks have dogs that, that, that react to that word that way. Um, you know, we have a couple we can hardly say that word around without them running to a window and looking and barking, you know. And it's sort of the reaction this board's gotten, that, you know, when we get public comment, you know, let's go do this. You know, uh, yeah, we get somebody that comes in and gives us testimony about we should pass a, a bond for uh, affordable housing, and now we're going to hold a work session on that. Um, we have a group of people come in about the birth center. Now we're going to hold a work session on that. You know, um, it, it just seems like we're being steered completely by chasing squirrels versus following a strategic plan, which is a fairly big change for Lane County. One I'm not too enamored with right now. So hopefully we can get back to following the strategic plan and not chasing squirrels so much. Which leads me to the latest squirrel we're chasing, which is, should we refer ballot measures and the legality around that? And this is particularly around the ballot um, initiatives that were attempted to revise our charter and amend our charter, which is kind of the, uh, the, the county equivalent of a constitutional amendment, because our charters are our are, are county constitution. So there are these these charter amendments that were proposed and then got kicked out by the courts because they failed some of the tests um, to do a charter amendment under state law. Um, Board of Commissioners had nothing to do with that, their rejection. It was purely something done by the courts. But the folks that were the proponents for those charter amendments are now asking the board to 
um, help them short circuit the process and place them on the ballot as instead of charter amendments as ordinances to amend county code, which is um, instead of building them into our charter, it would actually just be into our code. So instead of being a constitutional amendment, it's a statutory uh, piece of law, um, which, you know, it, you know, relating it to state to a state versus the county. Um, so those those that test for separate vote um, doesn't apply because it's not a, a quote constitutional slash charter amendment. Um, but what they're asking us to do is to help them not have to go through the process of collecting signatures. And the question is, is you know. If we do that for them, do we do it for any group that comes in and asks us just to refer stuff because they don't want to collect signatures? Yeah, that. So, but because of that, we're going to have a work session about whether or not we can legally refer those. Because the the secondary issue is both of these initiatives that they want to have referred as ordinances dealt with subjects that state law preempts counties from regulating. So they violate state law, which gets the board into a situation of, if we take um, board action to refer them, we that, and we know that those violate state law, are we taking a positive action that violates state law and then thus making our, and knowingly doing so, thus making you know elected officials have a lot of immunity over the actions they take unless they take an action knowingly that violates the law and acts outside of our powers knowingly as commissioners well basically referring these ballot measures is the definition of doing something knowingly that violates the law and might make us personally liable for you know, all sorts of, of impacts to anyone that feels they were damaged by that decision. So, um, you know, we're going to have this, this work session around this, you know, once again, kind of chasing squirrels because one activist group is asking us to do it. Um, and, you know, but we did release, um, we waived our attorney client privilege yesterday and we released a memo from our county council to the board um, that covers why um, county council feels we would end up being personally liable if we refer these ballot measures um, because they do violate state law. And we know that up front and therefore um, we would be placing ourselves in a position where if we voted to put them on the ballot and then say some group that didn't like them there had to spend a lot of money uh, in an election against them, eventually maybe defeated them, but they spent a million dollars running a campaign against them, they might come after the board to pay back that million dollars and maybe even their legal fees and suing the board for, for coming back after that million dollars. So you can kind of see I might be a little reluctant to be personally liable for my share of a million bucks or something like that. So, um, you know, I don't know what, you know, 
why we have to have a work session around that when we have pretty clear guidance from legal counsel that says we'd be personally liable. Um, you know, and I'm pretty sure my fellow commissioners don't want to make themselves personally liable for, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of cost. So, but we're chasing squirrels in the board this year. And uh, I guess we'll have to sit through chasing squirrels a little bit more. Um, you got a squirrel you want me to chase. I don't mind chasing squirrels on the Bose Nose Show because that's one of the reasons I have this show is I'd rather talk about an issue now with you and not take up full staff time or board time and you know maybe something we can just resolve here in a conversation. You call me at 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. So I have to get into um, something that, that's kind of a little bit obscure. Um, but something came up today in our Hones for Good board meeting. Now, Hones for Good is the local housing authority for Lane County as authorized under HUD rules in order to take in funding from the federal government to do everything from Section 8 vouchers to um, providing some of the uh, subsidized housing projects that we have and using federal income tax credits to build them. So we operate the, uh, the county board of commissioners with the addition of these two additional folks as the local housing authority. We call ourselves Homes for Good, but it's the Lane County Housing Authority basically is what it is. And um, in that role, um, we try and do a lot of things that help folks out, and particularly help folks that are in subsidized housing grow beyond that and become successful and independent from the system. And there are a lot of really good programs, and one of those programs is a program that helps build up individual savings accounts for the folks that are in our housing, as we do also along with those, helping them build those savings accounts, a um, financial uh, literacy type course where they kind of learn, you know, balancing checkbooks, setting budgets and all that good stuff. And part of that program for those individual savings accounts is run through the state of Oregon and is executed by a nonprofit um, called CASA of Oregon, not to be confused with CASA of Lane County. The court appointed special advocates is one thing. CASA of Oregon is a completely different organization. Um, and I, I'm going to real quick make a reference to my, my laptop here so I can give you the correct, what the acronym stands for is the Community and Shelter Assistance Corporation. And they're located um, in Sherwood, you know, uh, Oregon, and they run this individual um, savings account program for the state. And this, what the state does is they match money put in by the residents so that they build their accounts up quicker. And um, Homes for Good gets $80,000 of funding through CASA from the state um, to, to build those accounts. 
Well, one of the things CASA requires is that we approve a resolution um, acknowledging firmer, former and current discriminatory practices in Oregon and housing. Sounds kind of simple, you know, and I kind of, you know, it, it, it bothers me a little bit that in order to get state funds, we have to pass as a board that's organized under the federal government um, and, and the county, uh, a resolution written by an outside organization um, in order to access state funds. You know, it's kind of one that you, you have to do this or you don't get the funding. Um, at least that's what I understand now. We're pushing back a little bit on that because um, the board today basically said, we're not going to take action on this. Um, we directed our um, Jacob Fox, the executive director of Homes for Good, to go back and talk with CASA of Oregon um, about this and ask, you know, do we have to pass this to access our funds? Can we amend the, the resolution? Because the resolution includes some things that are just blatantly misinformation. I'll, I'll put it that way just to try and be nice. But it talks about how Oregon has a long history of creating all these race-based policies regarding affordable housing, home ownership, and predatory financial practices you know, that, that, that have been around for hundreds of years. I mean, the, the resolution actually states that as, as part of, you know, resolutions usually have what they call whereas statements, which are supposed to be factual, and therefore, which is an action that you're going to take. You know, um, and in the whereas, they talk about how Oregon has this long history that goes back hundreds of years. Oregon hasn't been in existence for hundreds of years. So just in that simple statement, it's factually incorrect. So, you know, you know approving a resolution that acknowledges hundreds of years of discrimination for a state that hasn't been in existence for hundreds of years. You know, we were a territory in, uh, I think it's 1848, and a state in, in 1859 or something. Yeah, 1859. Um, that's not hundreds of years. You know, <laughs> we haven't made 200 yet. We haven't gotten to hundreds. So, you know, just there. But, you know, some of the things, then, that you know, the next sentence says there's evidence of the impact of cultural and institutional racism within the community development field. Now, the community development field really didn't come into existence until the 60s in government. You know, it, it, it formally kind of maybe got its, its, its uh, um started maybe uh, uh, a little inkling maybe in the 30s during the Great Depression. But government really didn't get involved in community development until then. So it cites some things that that really have, you know, the community development field wasn't even in existence at that time. So it's kind of like, yeah, these things are true, but they're not, you can't lay that on the community development field, like the displacement of Native people from their lands, um, including the political termination of many tribes, that happened well before 1930. You know, and and you know, how do you tie those two sentences together? You know, so it's it was 
it, it, and then it it also starts talking about the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. Well, that wasn't a state of Oregon action. That was a federal government action under the Roosevelt administration. Why are we citing that in this in this resolution? You know, so it it just um, you know what's interesting is Homes for Good has a really serious effort around equity and inclusion. And we're, you know, really aware of trying to be culturally sensitive, making sure we're not executing any discriminatory practices within the agency and are striving to do our best. So, you know, we're, we're doing what ultimately this ask us to resolve to do is that, that um, you know, we'll work towards reversing and preventing future occurrences by utilizing tools at our disposal, including this, uh, what they call the IDA program, which is the um, program that CASA runs. But it just, it amazes me that they send this resolution to us and want us to blindly just approve it when it contains blatantly factual errors uh, and, and kind of mixes mixes up stuff and, and tries to, to, you know, lay blame for things, you know, including taking, you know, blame for out-of-state investors causing gentrification. You know, I don't know how you know, homes for good and Oregon or any policymakers in Oregon can control what an out-of-state investor does. You know, so it's, it's you know, it, it just amazes me. And I think if I hadn't spoke up at the board meeting, this resolution would have passed without even being read seriously. And, and, kind of makes me wonder, would we have been setting ourselves up for a future lawsuit from somebody accusing us of discrimination because we passed a resolution recognizing the continuing discriminatory practices in, in Oregon? Because that's part of the language in this resolution. So, you know, we're going to push back a little on CASA for Oregon. And uh, also, we're going to ask our legal counsel whether we're actually establishing any liability by signing this resolution. But all that over accessing funds from the state to help individuals become independent. You know, the, the, the goal of the funding is to help people in these housing and ultimately including people of color and um, vulnerable communities uh, you know, it 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 just seems like this silly little requirement they threw in there, and then threw a whole bunch of language in there, basically um, to say things that that aren't true, and and to take blame for things that Oregon wasn't even responsible for. You know, why is or why are we taking blame as homes for good? for the internment policies of the Roosevelt administration. I, I just don't get it. So maybe you can help me out there. Give me a call, 646-721-9887. Just press one. And, you know, 
I think I'm going to give Casa of Oregon my What Were You Thinking Award this week for asking us to sign a resolution that can, in order to access state funds, that contains blatantly incorrect factual information. I mean, what were you thinking, Casa of Oregon? And that, and please don't confuse this with with the with the uh, court-appointed special advocates. It's not that Casa; it's a different Casa that has to do with um, you know community and and shelter. Uh, that's what the C and the S are there. So, and it's a state um, nonprofit. That, that contracts with the state. So what were you thinking, guys? Um, did you read your own resolution? Did you proof it? <laughs> did you think about what it really says? What were you thinking? Um, be interesting to see what their answer is. Uh, I'll let you know in a future Bose Nose show if, in fact, they, they will not release the funds without us approving the resolution as they wrote it. Um, I'm actually going to go through and do some editing and send it to them and say, how about this instead? Because, you know, yes, I will acknowledge Oregon did have a history of housing discrimination, a serious history to housing discrimination. Um, and, 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 you know, had it written right into state law at one point, you know, the discrimination against blacks and African-Americans was, was serious here in Oregon. Um, and there's still, you know, individuals and maybe even um, companies that manage properties that, that you know, will um, discriminate. I, I, I hope there are few and there are exceptions, but there are some out there, um, and I've heard stories about it. So it's not that it has stopped completely. Um, so I'm not you know, the basis of the of the resolution to acknowledge the past discrimination, the fact that some of it continues, I don't disagree with that. Um, this is about throwing stuff in, the, you know, throwing the kitchen sink in there and thinking that that's a good thing. You, you, you could have written a very short resolution that would have gotten to the point, you know, without having to throw in stuff that's just blatantly false or had nothing to do with Oregon had everything to do with the Roosevelt administration. <laughs> so got five minutes left on the Bose Nose Show. Anything you want to talk about at all is fair game. Again, 646-721-987. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. We can talk about emergency preparedness. We can talk about the county fair. We can talk about housing and discrimination, ballot measure referrals, chasing squirrels, you name it, or I can just, you know, rail on the Eugene income tax and how unfair taxation without representation is, um, you know, which both Robin, my producer, myself, uh, neither of us live inside the city of Eugene, but we are going to be paying for the city of Eugene's public safety um, needs and everything else, even though they squander a lot of the money in their budget. Um, we have no control over voting for counselors or the mayor to try and get some folks elected that would take better care of their budget. Um, we get to be taxed to pay for their 
wasteful spending. Um, you know, when we can't, you know, at least in my case out here in rural Lane County, um, have difficulty resolving some of the issues we have around being able to fund rural patrol because the city of Eugene has traditionally uh, voted against amending the Metro plan to provide a tool for us to resolve that um, rural patrol issue and being able to, to, to um, set up a district that would cover rural Lane County and not include cities. Um, but, you know, that's just my personal rail of the moment uh, is, is uh, you know, I'm against taxation without representation. Um, you know, it's really sad that I couldn't sign the um, referral of the, the tax to the voters because I'm impacted by it, but because I'm not a city resident, I couldn't even sign a petition to put it on the ballot. You know, that's how unrepresented I am for the city income tax. So, um, you know, maybe it's time we just pass a serial levy to support rural patrol that includes city residents and, and uh, see if we can get, you know, something, get the city of Eugene residents to be paying for rural patrol, seeing now they're going to be taxing rural residents to pay for city police officers. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> I got an idea for a meme. Okay. Admiral Akbar. It's a tax. <laughs> it's a tax. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the common thing like you're saying. Like I'm just reading up HB H HB. I'll get it right. Um, twenty one sixty four, which is also supposed to make it harder if people want to put a a tax on the ballot to uh, vote on. Mm-hmm. So it's just like we talked about last week. The emergency clause is like. You, you're free to open your wallets and just leave them, and uh, yeah, don't yeah. look at the politician behind the curtain. You know, yeah, we really shouldn't be, you know, attacking Kate Brown. We should be attacking the abuse emergency clause. Right. Go, you know, go for the heart of the issue. Yep. And, and that's something I think everybody should get get behind. You know, because the abuse of the emergency clause. If you know the legislature ever changes hands and becomes Republican, the Democrats are not going to want you know um, Republicans slapping emergency clauses on bills that they don't like. Yeah, they're going to want to refer them too. Oh, but that that'll never happen because well, at least presidential wise, because we got rid of the um, electoral college, or at least well, you can't get rid of it, but they're kind of trying to stack the deck. Yeah, yeah. I think you have the best explanation on how that works. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we really, yeah, the, the abuse of the emergency clause, and it's something that I know, uh, we can put an emergency clause on any ordinance we pass in, in Lane County, and we only do it in rare occasions. In fact, at one point, I pulled it off of a measure that we had in front of us um, because I didn't think it was necessary. Um, that where came, a bill uh, ordinance came to us and staff had written emergency clause on there and it wasn't necessary and I pulled it off um, because I think it's so abused. You know, an emergency should take some kind of super majority to declare and there should be some justification as to why a law has to take immediate effect. 
And I just can't understand how things like providing driver's license to illegal aliens is some kind of emergency <laughs> that yeah. has to take immediate effect. Well, um, one emergency clause that we should put in effect is requiring people to hit that subscribe button to our program. Yes, we should. So, yeah, to the end of another Bo's News show here, I want to thank everybody for listening, maybe putting up with the crazy craziness right at the beginning of the show. Um, this is student-run radio. <laughs> As I'm doing this live from my home in downtown Elmira, we do have poodles and sometimes dogs are dogs and interrupted the beginning of the show, but we got through it. We collected ourselves, put another show in the can. I hope you enjoyed the show. Be back with us next week at four o'clock here live from beautiful downtown Elmira for the Bo's Nose Show. Have a great week. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.